I'm Aaron Weintraub, and this is Inside Kurdistan. I focused some in the past on mental health uh, in KRI and Iraq, but uh, a lot of the time the conversation revolves around what needs to develop in the future for mental health services uh, here in, in the Middle East in general. Uh, and a lot of the time, uh, mental health takes a central focus here in part uh, because of cultural stigma, but also there is a long history that tends to uh, define people's mental health outlook for them, uh, which when coupled with a lack of conversation about what people need to get better can make for a very serious problem when it comes to issues like depression and anxiety uh, in a society. So today I have two guests, back-to-back interviews, uh, but from the same organization, the Center for Victims of Torture, uh, Jala Ali and Sarah Pierce. And Jala is from here and so can speak to more of her own personal perspective on treatment uh, for trauma uh, from conflict here, as well as her own interest and background in psychology in this area. And Sarah is from Australia, and we discuss the larger picture of the services CBT tries to provide and how she reconciles with her own Western background in psychotherapy with what's happening on on the ground here. So first we'll go to my interview with Jala and then Sarah right after. Jala Bayanibash, how are you? Bayanibash, Aaron. So you, you grew up in the uh, the 90s uh, when, when economic sanctions hit Iraq. Uh, and so I'm curious, even before you did uh, your own training in psychology, you, you told me that you had an early interest in the field. And I'm curious how, for example, these sanctions or the Gulf War affected people around you, what you what you saw from people even before you had the context to be able to understand what they were going through. Actually, you asked, you just asked me a question about my um, favorite animal. And I said, all my passion is to human, not for animal. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, so from that perspective, I'll begin. Uh, since I was studying in high school, I had like desire for working with human when I'm growing up, like mm-hmm. when I graduate from high school. Uh, that time, I remember I was only thinking about being a doctor. That's what, what makes you like... Um, I work with with human being uh but you know in my country it's not uh based on your choice it is it depends on your degree that uh you get in the in the last class of high school so i got the degree that um i had to i had two um choice to study law or psychology so i went for psychology so it wasn't entirely my choice but i'm like when i graduated from psychology and then i got my master um, I can say I'm really happy about that field, like mm-hmm. working at that field. Specifically, um, after 2010, like 2010, that I felt that this is the best, this is the most needed and the the, the biggest gap in the country. Uh, and we had a lot of job, opportun- job opportunity in that field. So, yeah, this is how I came to psychology. And um, as I felt, as I had this feeling, I went down for psychology and I was working in the same field in many different agencies, governmental, non-governmental agencies. So I'm curious how much, um, because the Iraq's history of like different uh, conflicts uh, might affect people differently uh, depending on uh, how old they are, uh, what memories they have of which conflicts. So we talked about before this specifically your work with uh, victims of ISIS, uh, but why don't we like talk about sort of 
people who have experience, like have memories of the Gulf War, for example, have memories of the '90s, have memories of the regime, uh, and and the the uh, 2003 invasion. How do those different kinds of factors affect certain people? Mm-hmm. Uh, if we like collect all the things and name it as a traumatic event, mm-hmm. regardless regardless of it is ISIS, it is regime, it is other um, traumatic events that happened in Iraq, um, it is um, you know disasters, wherever we call it. Uh, traumatic event or difficult situation it affects on people regardless of their uh, gender their ethnicity their educational background and their age their group of people no matter what when they when people th- like went through um, or go through difficult situation they affect by that mm-hmm. and it and it affects in three ways like physically psychologically uh, and socially yeah you were talking about uh, uh, the pyramid of needs uh before we before we started this interview, could you no, explain? No, this is a different topic. Oh, this is a yeah, different topic. A okay, different could you explain that what that pyramid is? Uh, well, uh, we had a chit chat before this yeah. podcast. <laughs> um, I talked. Uh, you asked me a question about the economic factor. Yeah, we have a, a Maslow pyramid which mm-hmm. talks about um, human being needs. Uh, the first layer of the pyramid is about the very basic needs, uh, which is shelter, food, clothes, and most of the people in Iraq, especially those who are displaced from their people, they are suffering from lack of their needs, mm-hmm. lack of these needs, uh, let's say. And uh, it's the most like the most common factor between people who went through uh, ISIS war uh, specifically. Uh, they lost everything. They lost their shelter. They have no job. They can't pay their rent, their electricity like fees and other things. So um, it is like the, the Maslow pyramid. It talks about human needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, one thing that we also talked about <laughs> before uh, we started was uh, someone's level of resilience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want to talk about different factors uh, before we even get into your programs, different factors that might contribute to someone's like level of resilience to the trauma they've experienced. Yeah. Um, actually, as I mentioned before, um, traumatic events affect on everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, unless the person has resilience itself. And it, it, it came from like um, so many fa- other factors uh, affect on their resilience. For example, their awareness about psychology, uh, their personality, um, maybe um, sometimes their belief, their faith in uh, like whatever, uh, it affects on their uh, resilience. So the same people went through the same, like um, two different people, they went through the same situation, the same traumatic event, but this event had uh, effect like differently on them. Uh, one of them, uh, they are really traumatized, they have a lot of symptoms, but the other one is better or they have like less dif- less symptoms or in a, you know, um, not in that difficult way, you know? So the resilience of people has a big role on the perspective or uh, perceive of, of the traumatic event. How does CVT go about making people aware about their programs? Uh, well, um, we have awareness sessions for people um, um, in the community, uh, for all the members of the community. Mm-hmm. Um, awareness is about how trauma affects on human beings. Um, psychological, physical, and social life. 
uh, when they have um, this awareness and we talk about the symptoms of the uh, trauma, so they will directly know that they have been through this and they are traumatized and they have really these symptoms there and their children. Uh, our focus on children because um, children are the most effective one by trauma and um, they they don't have this resilience. They don't have this ability to, to analyze the situation, to understand. Uh, they just have the symptom and they don't know how to deal with that. And it affects on their entire life if they don't treat, treat it. So our um, awareness sessions will be for the parents, um, teaching them or let's say informing them about the symptoms of their children, of, of themselves. Um, we have another thing. We are uh, it, like we have brochures. We have some papers who has like who like which had um, a lot of information in it, and uh, we are spreading between people. And yeah, so this is the way that we um, we tell people about our service. Could you get in a little more about the brochures? What exactly is your system for spreading them around? We have people um, working with us as a community volunteers. Uh, they are going door to door or the public places uh, inside the community and through schools and through doing awareness sessions for the teachers, for parents of the student. Um, this is the way that we are spreading the brochure and telling people and like awareing people about the trauma. It seems to me that that's like a very indirect way of addressing uh, someone. And I'm curious why you might think culturally that's the best way uh, to to try and reach out to people here. If you could explain that. Yeah, I can say because of the unfortunately lack of awareness mm -hmm. in that field in our society. Um, like people doesn't have this awareness about psychology, about trauma. Mm -hmm. They never realized that trauma has that much effect on them, on their life, um, as I mentioned, like psychologically, physically and socially. Uh, have you heard about like maybe you're not from the same community, but if you ask your friends, you know, like most of the parents, most of the people are suffering from a specific pain in their in their body. When they go to doctor, they don't like they don't find any any reason for that pain. Mm -hmm. And they just say, um, oh, go and take a painkiller or any antibiotic and you'll get better. But they don't know, actually, this is one of the symptoms of the, like, having a traumatic event or mm -hmm. having a difficult difficulty in life or life stressors, let's say. Uh, they don't know that th this is the real reason. And they have to treat this to, to get released and to get um, recovered from the pain. This is one of the things. Um, so people like have have this problem that they know they don't know about it. They have lack of awareness about that. Mm -hmm. uh, and we in the psychology field, when we um, when we like work with the client with the, with the person that are suffering. I'm um, actually I don't say client, but um, because. Anyone can, can be through that. Mm. Uh, any person could suffer from that. Uh, so the person who suffer from these symptoms of uh, life difficulty and traumatic event, you can't say to them you have a psychological issue. Mm -hmm. Most of the people, even like educated people, they don't accept that. 
because of the stigma, unfortunately, still exists in the community. Uh, they see people if they are suffering from some psychological or mental or like general problem, they are labeled by a um, crazy people, by a, someone has an illness or something like that. It's a still stigma and they feel ashamed to talk about it actually. So we need to go indirectly to them. We need to tell them that, well, we are on C in CVT, we are uh, basically working with symptoms of trauma. We are not psychiatrists. We are not dealing with the mental disorders. Mm -hmm. um, we are working on the symptoms that they have. You know, people went through a difficult situation, a worse situation, and they have, they, there's been affected by this and they have so many things changed in them, in their behavior, in their social, in their physical life, physical side. And um, we are dealing based on the symptoms. We are, we are like asking the parents, um, have, have your child uh, changed since the war, since the ISIS war? And they say, yes, they became aggressive. They became um, more like less socialized. Uh, they don't talk, uh, they are depressed, or they are um, like the opposite. They are hyperactive, mm -hmm. they are so socialized, and they are suffering from bedwetting and like specific symptoms mm -hmm. so that we know this is effect of trauma. Specifically, I'm curious, what can some of the triggers from someone uh, who survived the ISIS conflict uh, be? Uh, what can be a trigger for them? Yeah. So many things, actually. Mm -hmm. Like, um, as we mentioned before, the economic situation, the, like... Like, a truly losing... a bad economic situation can be a trigger for someone's trauma. Of course, mm -hmm. of course. It has a big role on, on the on their resilience, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, you know, child where a child, let's, let's talk about the child, because it's a really common issue between them. Mm -hmm. They were lived in their city that they born... They were live in their house. They have their neighbors, their friends in school. They know everyone. They know the language. They know. But when they displaced and they left their origin of like places, um, everything changed around them. Like they can't perceive that. They can't perceive this this change easily as a as an adult. Um, they don't talk to anyone, or they don't trust others, or they say like they they see others as a. Um, someone new for them they can't accept them mm -hmm. uh, they less trust they less socialize and it affects on their behavior they they might be became more aggressive more you know um, over um, very small things they they get uh, emotional and they get um, angry and upset about it you know and it also affect on their physical uh, like physical situation uh, they have belly pain, they have a headache, they have um, like leg uh, ache, um, like whatever. Mm -hmm. They suffer from all these things. And in, in, like at the end of the day, they, they don't feel good and they don't know what's the reason. And it affects of, of their relation with their family. So this is what I'm calling it. Like when, when I when I say traumatic event affects on social life, they it it, affect, it affects on their relation with people and with parents. Mm -hmm. They can't uh, like parents can't tolerate these behavior, and they don't know why they behave in this way. And they might be going through trauma themselves and might not be able exactly. To, yeah. And 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 
they, they can't deal with each other. Mm. Like, uh, and, and, and here starts like uh, parents beating them and they are running away from the house and they're saying to their parents that you're not good enough, you're not my dad, you're, you know, like so many things we hear uh, from the, the children's, like the children that we are working with. Mm. I'm curious, and I'm going to ask this question to Sarah as well when I interview her. Um, what can, if this behavior of trauma leads to sort of factors like aggression or mistrust, what does that say for the future of the society here in Iraq and Kurdistan in general? Does, does a poor uh, mental health outlook for individuals in this society make for a future for conflict? Does, that, does one thing lead to another in your mind as a psychologist? Uh, and that's a big question. I understand. There's a lot of yeah, different factors yeah. that can lead to conflict. Yeah, but. I can I can answer this question by saying by repeating that the, the issue with the trauma is it remains on your brain, it remains in your memory, and until you you process it, mm -hmm. you deal with it, you treat it. Let's say, uh, especially for children, like we have so many uh, great successful adults that they they still have child. Like childhood traumatic events, mm -hmm. they still suffer from that. But maybe, like in a in a side of their life, it will appear not not um, like it's not appear of them. It's not obvious, but they still suffer from. So if if child grown up with this with these symptoms, like a child is aggressive aggressiveness um, affect on their relation with the parent, affects on their relation with the children in school, with the teachers. They're, they will not be successful, successful, for example, in the school because they can't tolerate the others or they have been bullied in the school because of their specific behavior, because of their aggressiveness, because of their lack of tolerance. So these all symptoms, if you, if you can't treat it, if you can't like, process this traumatic event, it will remain with you and it will affect on your, on your like, other life. So as you said, things um, come after things like... Uh, specific behavior uh, affects on their entire life, let's say, in the end of the day. So you got your bachelor's degree uh, in psychology in 2007. Yes. Just four years after the beginning of the invasion. So you do you have memories of the Gulf War? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah you do? I was only four years old. I was going to say, yeah. yeah, you were young, but you you might remember. I'm, I, I remember, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, and you remember the economic sanctions afterwards? Of course. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and you remember the invasion, of course, because uh, you were definitely old enough by then. I'm curious, uh, Jala, how much trauma you've had to address with uh, your own life from things that you've seen and, and the people you've had to be around. Maybe for me it's different, but, you know, I was four years old in 91 mm -hmm. uh, when revol revolution here happened in KRI and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, against the regime bus. Um, I remember the event that we left our house and when we came back, uh, like our house was um, empty, like people stole all, all of the, all of the, the thing that I remember. And yesterday I was talking, talking to my dad about that. Um, the most thing that I, I was sad about uh, was the, they were stole my toys and I can't and like I can't forget that. Mm -hmm. And I still remember my toys that it's gone. I don't know uh, where, but I remember. But for my fortunate, I didn't went through a um, real war. I didn't see like uh, catastrophic things mm -hmm. and you know difficult things uh, much. 
But I hear from people, I hear from my parents that they have been in prison before. And, you know, Iraq, unfortunately, been through so many things long time ago. Uh, so we will be kind of secondary traumatized. Okay. We hear about all these things. So we have people now, uh, they went through ISIS war, mm -hmm. or let's say children who born after ISIS or during ISIS, or they haven't seen these real things in reality, but they still considered as secondary traumatized. Why? Because the mom and the dad, like, went through that and they are traumatized, they have symptoms, the symptoms will will affect on their children as well because they can't behave in a right way with their children. So the children will be secondary traumatized as well. One final question, um, and it's kind of a two-parter, uh, but uh, I want to know about people uh, who may start with your services uh, mm -hmm. but don't follow through with them. Um, what kinds of reasons do they give or what kinds of factors might lead to someone dropping out of CBT services? Everyone who needs our service or let, let me rephrase that, everyone who our service uh, indeed serve them and indeed um, like make them in a better situation, they are welcomed on, in CBT. Mm -hmm. Unless they can't commit to the sessions or unless they want to drop out or, or unless because of the whatever reason they can't come to the to the services. Uh, otherwise, everyone is welcome uh, and children, we are our focus on children and, and parents, um, either mom or dad coming with the children for the sessions. Um, like no one will be dropped out um like um, against their will, you know, uh, everything they are, it's up to them and they are deciding that. And but in, like from the CVT, they're all welcome. Uh, but they need to have the criteria. Like they, we need to, um, you know, to know what if they have the criteria that we, we put it for our service, because mm -hmm. each service has their own goal and. Uh, for example, we have intensive session, which is 11 to 12 session. Each session has a goal. If you, if someone come and uh, doesn't have the criteria, um, it means that doesn't get benefit from the sessions. So they're, they can't get benefit from that. And it's waste of time if they come, you know, because the program and the sessions are designed for a specific people that when that, that go through our criteria. Mm -hmm. If people drop out of these programs, mm -hmm. uh, uh, is it because of uh, social stigma uh, that they face from like families or their communities? How much does that factor in? I think in CVT we could deal with that situation, with that problem, mm -hmm. with the stigma, because we are not going, as I told you before, we are not going uh, directly to tell them that right. you are suffering from a psychological issue and you need, you need to come here and you need to treat it. No. Um, you know, um, I remember in uh, one of the sessions we called, it, like we named the session as a um, facing life's difficulty. Yeah. You know, this yeah. is something normalized for people. Everyone can have difficulty in their life, and it's really normal thing. So people people understand that easily. Uh, vice versa, if I tell them, "Come, you have a psychological issue. I want to treat you. I want to like make psychotherapy for you." No, they can't accept that, but they can easily come to the session that 
makes them face um, their difficulty in life and uh, make them in a better situation, make them make their resilience uh, be more and make them feel comfortable about even they are in the difficult situation, but still they can survive and they can deal with it. Well, Jala, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, you're welcome. And it was my pleasure to be here with you. Cheers. Thank you. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. So I wanted to ask uh, generally, what is sort of the difference between psychological trauma from a conflict zone versus psychological trauma from another uh, uh, violent accident, for example, like a car accident? What are some of the long-term effects uh, that that can have on people? Yeah, it's really interesting because um, trauma is essentially like a physiological and psychological response to threat. So what we would see in, um, say, for example, a victim of a a natural disaster or a car accident and um, someone who's been through war or violent conflict, some of the symptoms are very similar. So what we would find is like reoccurring nightmares of the event, um, difficulty regulating emotions. There may be also like flashbacks of that event. It doesn't matter what the event is. But what's, what I've found is really unique working with um, survivors of, um, of violent conflict is the interpersonal impacts. So what we, um, what we notice is there is an impact of, in trust, both in themselves and others, and um, impact on um, like ability to um, form meaningful relationships with, um, with family members, with their community members, um, particularly in conflict, like the, the, um, the cohesion in communities becomes disrupted when there is both um, people who have been survivors of the conflict and people who may have perpetrated other, other crimes or being involved with, um, with the conflict. Like we find there's a real disruption in, in trust and so I think that's quite unique for our work. It would be um, similar to other forms of interpersonal violence. So for example, um, child, childhood abuse or neglect also has that capacity to disrupt um, like interpersonal relationships. So I think that's a unique element. Um, also a feeling of like shame, blame, guilt, um, wishing that they could do something, uh, they could have done something different in that circumstance where, um, yeah, or responded differently. Could be similar to um, to other sorts of trauma, but we really see this standing out in, in many of the communities we work with across the world. And going off of that interpersonal relationship that uh, you have to maintain with a victim while you're working with them, mm-hmm. uh, particularly with the uh, war and conflict-related trauma, you have to do a lot of follow-up. So what are some of the necessary steps that you have to take in the long term to help uh, treat someone who's undergoing that kind of psychological trauma? Yeah, definitely. So I think CVT services are quite unique because they're really inten- intensive. Um, so we're not meeting with somebody for just one or two sessions. We start um, with an initial meeting to, to build somebody's trust, to identify whether they're um, like suitable to, um, to, for us to work with and, for, and that we're suitable for them. So the trust goes both ways, right? We're choosing each other. 
in um, choosing to work with each other. And then um, we have like a period of, of time where we see that person either individually or in a group setting. Um, and then we continue to follow up with them every um, periodically for the for for a year. So um, we find um, over that time frame that initially someone might present with really um, really high um, symptoms and effects of trauma, but over the period of working with them, we we see the reduction in um, in the impacts and. Of course, like CVT are not like a closed door service. Anytime somebody needs to, to come back, or if something else happens and they and they need to re uh, recontact their counselor, then they can um, they can come back and, and seek support again. I'm kind of curious about uh, it. It takes a certain level of trust between uh, someone who's offering care and someone who's receiving care, but particularly with conflict related trauma, that 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 can I, I could see that person potentially having trust issues not just with you know people who are seeking to uh, help them but also sort of society around them in general so how how do you help sort of um address like <laughs> people who who no longer have like a faith in like the place where they live mm, interesting um it's it's very hard and i think and this is um hard but not impossible um and I know that you know part of the reason for doing group work is because there is a disrupted trust and mm -hmm. so through the process of the group and through building relationships with other people from their communities through seeing that other people have actually had very similar experiences to them then the um, like the the trust gets rebuilt and it may not be for um, like quite a number of sessions before somebody is really ready to open up and and share what they've been through um, and share details with um, with their group but generally um, generally what I've noticed um, and what I've heard from the team on, in the field is like the first session people are very you know um, nervous to join in um, they may like be have questions about well who else is going to be in here um, mm. But through that process and through getting to know each other, like the stability of the group and the relationships start to get rebuilt. Um, we're obviously working on a small scale. We're not we're not working on like rebuilding an entire community. That gets done sort of step by step, um, and that needs like the involvement and willingness of the community to to rebuild their relationships. And what are some of the cultural considerations that you take into account while addressing <clears throat> the effects of trauma? And, and what is like what is unique about the treatment for the community in Iraq and Kurdistan? Yeah, so um, our work here has been quite interesting. So from the beginning of, um, of our project um, here, you know, CVT have some standard models that we use across different, um, different contexts and different cultures. But for, um, for the first part of this project, we, um, we actually shared these um, like models with um, with our staff who are all local staff um, um, and we got their feedback we adapted things to fit with the culture here we it we adapted wording and concepts like so, what like sorry like what um, let me try and think of an example it was a long time ago that we did this <laughs> um, like sometimes the word trauma can be difficult for people okay. and so they so what we what we did with the team is we talked about different ways we can talk about trauma 
Um, so we, we don't avoid using the word, we do use the word, but we may like give a lot of examples and make those examples relevant to the community. Okay. So like sometimes, you know, there may have been, um, like you may have had to leave your, your home suddenly, you may have needed to, um, you may have experienced, um, you know, like conflict related um, things like bombings or um, other things. Um, so we share generally, um, so people know that we know what they're what they've been through, and then we go through like the um, like the more detailed um, detailed information with them, and that's also a process of building trust, right? Because right. somebody okay. doesn't always just come in and say, "Oh, I'm going to tell you about you know the the really difficult thing that's happened." They'll come in and say, "You know, I'm struggling with um, with feeling angry all the time, or I keep having nightmares." And then, so we start from that, and we move, um, we move, uh, I guess, down to what what um, has really been going on for them mm -hmm. in the community. That's one of the things. Um, the other thing is, um, for some of our, our like interventions, we use like a, a storytelling approach. So we use um, uh, we we share like um, as part of our sessions especially with kids we share like stories that are um, sort of appropriate for their age but also cover some um, some like challenging issues that they might face and so for these stories um, obviously in different cultures and contexts the stories will be different mm -hmm. and so we created some new stories um, with the team here and we also created like some um, some like age-appropriate stories because we had been we have been working with quite young children at different points. Something that we talked about uh, before we turned the microphones on was um, your own personal background in in psychotherapy and your own background also in the humanitarian field has led you to kind of tackle a, a, a difficult conversation about imparting sort of a philosophy of of the practice of psychotherapy from another country mm -hmm. uh, onto a culture that you're not from. And that can happen a lot of times in medical fields. It can also happen a lot of time in the humanitarian field. So can you tell me sort of the conclusions that you've drawn with trying to bridge that gap? And so I don't want to bring the term like neocolonialism into it, uh, but I just did. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes, but, but it, it's, it's worth, it's worth bringing up because, uh, uh, part of the challenge here is, is destigmatizing this kind of care. Yes. Uh, and so I, I'm, I am curious about how you've been able to reconcile that. Yeah, I, it, I think it's constantly a challenge and I think whenever we're, um, engaging with a culture that's not our own, even, even within our own culture, right? Because mm -hmm. within our own culture, there are different, um, there are different uh, like divides and not everybody and within my own culture has my experience. So right. I think some of the principles can um, apply in both circumstances. I think what I've learned over the years is really um, like encouraging people from that culture to um, give feedback, even negative feedback mm -hmm. um, when I'm introducing a new idea or a new topic. Um, and creating like actively creating a space for them to do so so I talked about like the adaptation of some of the the, um, the tools that CVT use in different con contexts and to be able to, to adapt them we actually had to carve out time and space with the team and um, like cr create possibilities for them to give feedback and, mm -hmm. and um, honest feedback with us if we had just come in and said we're doing this thing without any space for discussion, then we wouldn't have known. We wouldn't know 
like what they thought about what we're presenting. Right. So that I think that's an example of um, you know one one time when it's um, when it's but from my perspective it has gone well and um, I hope that the team also feel that way <laughs> um, I also think like psychology is is, is a relatively new concept um, and you know my um, my perspective on that is that there there would have been and there have been like concepts that people use for their own mental health their own well-being their own physical well-being that have been used for a really long time um, and so I'm always curious to understand, like, what are what are the ways that um, people people what do you, what are the ways that people use to better their mental health? Like, what do people think of of their own mind? Like, what's the concept of of people's mind? How do they understand that that? Going off of sort of the conversation about humanitarian work, uh, um, we also discussed. Uh, the issue with specifically psychotherapy is something that as we talked about earlier in this conversation takes a long time it takes a lot of follow-up and with that takes funding Uh, and conflict is uh, not uh, unique to Iraq uh, and Kurdistan you know there are conflicts that are sprouting up in other places and there's oftentimes not enough money to go around for projects like CBTs and so my question is what is needed uh, to be able to ensure that people can continue to receive their care even as like conflict continues elsewhere? Yeah, I think um, it's an interesting question, and I, if I think we're in this difficult place where there is so much um, conflict, displacement, war, trauma around around the globe, mm-hmm. right and. Um, you know, we know that there, um, like, there are like, yeah, there are always different priorities with funding, and I think um, we we need to consider both um, both international bodies and local governments. We need to consider mental health um, and MHPSS as a as a vital um, a vital element of society, um, and. Also, you know, I know, um, yeah, also really, how do I say that? Like, take it seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, um, it's not something that is easily resolved. Um, and it, it does take time to rebuild the wellness of a community on all different levels, not only mental health, also like rebuilding cities that have, um, that have um, been destroyed because of conflict, physical health, building up the systems, um, from um, from governments and um, and other structures that may have been impacted by ongoing conflict, that's not unique here. Mm-hmm. You know, wherever there is conflict, there are these issues. So I, I think like more prioritization um, needs to happen and longer term, right? Um, yeah. So I would like to ask sort of a two part question. One sort of a gen- generic one about what you would like to see expand in the CBT's services in the future in Iraq here, but also what would you like to see with your own skill set expanded? Like, what would you like to see yourself uh, sort of not improve upon, but, (laughs) but, but, but uh, dive more deeply into when it comes to uh, your work? 
Yeah, I, I'll, I'll talk more generally, I think, about um, like MHPSS services because I don't think CVT is the only organization providing, um, providing support here. I think that what I'd really like to see is that um, you know, people who are struggling with mental health issues of, of any kind, not only unique to, to, um, to trauma, that they have access to the care that mm -hmm. they need. Um, and that, you know, in, in areas that um, maybe have less organizations functioning there for whatever reason, have more access to, um, to staff. Um, and I'd also like to see, like, um, more, um, more psychologists, more people engaging in, mm. um, in universities, um, more people, um, you know, from Kurdistan and Iraq in, in leadership so that, um, so that we can, like, as we're, um, as we're managing uh, the, um, like, the health and well-being, that it can really be, like, led by people who are from this community. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that would be amazing to me if I could see that um, in the future. Um, yeah, and for myself, <laughs> <laughs> that's the difficult question. Um, I'm personally, I'm interested in um, underst I'm interested in understanding the understanding trauma from a deeper perspective. Um, and it, yes, this is the work that I do, so <laughs> I, I have a, a, a good understanding of it, but I feel sometimes I feel like there are um, there are a longer term, um, that I don't feel like they are, I, we know that there are longer term intergenerational effects of trauma. Mm -hmm. And so um, I feel like that's something that interests me as, um, as you know, Kurdistan and Iraq um, emerge and, um, you know, engage in, um, in like re rebuilding and establishing, you know, the establishing communities like I'm interested in you know, how, how do we support with the longer term effects? Um, and how do we manage those so that they don't become, um, you know, um, like, how do, like, patterns, if that makes sense. Like, because right. um, we know that intergenerational trauma um, often shows up as patterns and behavior rather than uh, an, an immediate traumatic event, it emerges as a pattern and behavior that um, is not always helpful. And so I'd really like, for the not for me personally yes but also for the team here to be working on like how do we how do they help their communities and how do they guide the people that they that come to them for support actually i'm curious because and this is maybe not a question for someone of your field but you talk about intergenerational patterns uh, for people uh, uh but i'm also curious about intergenerational patterns for societies Mm. Is the conflict that people emerge from that traumatizes them? Does that reflect in future conflicts that you know the next generation might go into? And is providing psychosocial support maybe a, a, a solution that's under researched for that uh, kind of issue? Hmm. Again, it may not be your field, <laughs> but I'm just I'm just curious about your opinion on that. <laughs> I, it, it's a very interesting question. Um, I'm not sure, to be honest. Um, and I, I think that um, 
you know, of course, going and, and I'm not speaking about about Iraq or Kurdistan mm -hmm. only here. I think going through any kind of conflict like impacts the society, impacts the way that people relate to each other, impacts the systems of society. And so like once that conflict is has stabilized and um, communities can engage in healing, then they can also direct what they want their community to look like and mm -hmm. what they want relationships to look like. So, of course, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a therapist, I'm going to say psychosocial support <laughs> can help, but I think there's a specific type of psychosocial support that can help. Um, um, yeah, and then we, we would be moving more into, I guess, the, the peace building field, which is, um, you know, not something that I'm, I'm working on directly at the moment. All right. Well, we'll get into that, I guess, maybe in another episode. But <laughs> Sarah, yeah, thank you so much for uh, talking with me. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's Cheers. Thanks again to both Sarah and Jala for taking the time to speak on this topic. Inside Kurdistan is brought to you by the Kurdistan Information Network, and you can check out our podcast on KurdistanIn.net. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to us at info at kurdistanin.net. Thanks so much. I'm Aaron Weintraub, and this has been Inside Kurdistan. Inside Kurdistan.